So we figure every once in a while we'll give our brother Bruce a break and, and give him some vacation time. And uh, that's what he's doing. He's out on vacation, so the next couple of weeks, this week and next, I'll be here with you. Of course, next week, I understand we're going to be having a special Upward Sunday service, and we will have a message that day, and, um, but I'll be here. Bruce won't. This morning, I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited because I get the opportunity to share God's Word with you, and I believe there isn't anything better to be able to share God's Word with you, with anybody who's willing to, to listen, who's hungry for the word. And I'm excited to see Jonathan, you know, as, as he prepares to go out to, uh, to Budapest. Uh, the idea is to, there to, to take God's word, to take God's word and impact that, that uh, community for, for God's kingdom. So we're, we're excited about that as well. If you have a Bible, we would uh, like for you to open it to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, as Isaiah mentioned earlier this morning, the message is titled, A Heart After God's Word, A Heart After God's Word, and that's what I would desire of myself and anybody who attends this church or anybody that I come across with, especially a follower of Christ, that we would have a heart after God's Word. God's Word is so important, beloved, and I shouldn't have to say that, and uh, it should be well known, but so often we either don't understand quite what that means, I'm not sure if any of us really understands exactly what that means, but we often can very easily get busy with our lives, or just simply get caught up with other things, and not give God's Word its, its due place. And God's Word is His form of expression to us. He expresses Himself through his word, and specifically even the Lord Jesus Christ was called the word of God, the expression. You want to know God, you have to know his word. You don't know his word, you don't know God. And so our desire here as a church at Crosspoint is that we would all become people that are, have a heart after God's heart, after God's word, I'm sorry. Uh, so this morning I'm excited to share this portion with you. As I was reading, I thought, man, this is awesome to be able to share this, to look at it, to meditate on this. Nehemiah chapter 8, we probably don't often preach on, on even the Old Testament sometimes, but Nehemiah is not exactly a book that comes to mind when you think, hey, let's give a message on, on God's Word. But Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 12, is, is a very interesting portion. Now let me give you a little bit of a background to this. Nehemiah was a cupbearer during the time when Israel, the nation of Israel, was under captivity in Babylon. Now, long story short, I don't want to go all the way back to Adam and Eve, but you have to know that uh, I, I love just trying to put things into a little time frame. But you know that the nation of Israel began with one man, Abraham. And I don't know, how long, I don't know if you understand how long ago he lived, but he lived about 4,000 years ago. 4,000, 2,000 years before the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God decides, I'm going to manifest myself in a special way through these people. He chooses Abraham. Out of Abraham comes Isaac. Out of Isaac, you have Jacob. Out of Jacob, you have 12 tribes that compose the nation of Israel. Fast forward 1,000 years when David comes around. They're a nation. They ask for a king. Now we're talking 3,000 years ago. 
They ask for a king. Saul becomes first king of Israel. There's 12 tribes. Uh, then David takes over as king. Then his son Solomon takes over as king. And after Solomon is gone, the nation of Israel is divided into two groups. The ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes. Fast forward that to the year 722 B.C. And the Assyrians capture the ten northern tribes. And they make a mess out of that. And then fast forward 200 years after that, the year 586 B.C. Some of you guys already lost. I'm like, what is he talking about? 586 B.C., the Babylonians come and take over Judah, the two southern tribes. And they are taken captive for 70 years. For 70 years, they're under the captivity. That's where Daniel comes around and all that good stuff. Why am I telling you all this? After those 70 years of captivity, dark, terrible, bad years, God moves the king's heart to say, you know what, I'm going to let you go. And so you have at least, you, have, you start having some groups that, are, that begin to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. And um, Nehemiah was the person that God used on the third group that went out of that captivity. And uh, Nehemiah is in charge of rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. They were all broken down. And as soon as they finished build, rebuilding these walls under a lot of animosity and struggle, uh, it only takes them miraculously 52 days to complete the wall, to rebuild it. What we're about to read is what happens soon after they rebuild that wall. So all that history, just to know, it was some exciting times. They were just going, overcoming some very difficult times, times of oppression in Babylon. They start migrating back to their land that God had promised them hundreds of years before. And they're seeing some progress, and they finish this, this wonderful work of rebuilding the wall. You know, there, if there's no wall, there's no safety, you don't have anything. So they rebuild that wall, and soon after that, we read what occurs here in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 12. People are now beginning to be hopeful. Things are kind of coming back to some sort of, uh, you know, normalcy. I don't think that's a word, but things begin to become a little more normal. And here's what they do. And what I want us to do is as we read this and study this and bring some things out, is kind of highlight the idea of how they were hungry for God's word. And compare that to us. You know, where, I don't know where you're at in your life. You may be down in the valley right now. You may be at a mountaintop. Maybe you just got married a week ago. You're way up there. You know what I'm saying? You just got a promotion. We're all in different places in our lives. But these people were just coming out of some dark times and... Look at what they do. After God is able to do this miraculous work and allows them to, I mean, the king of Persia paid for everything. It was unbelievable. Read the whole, the whole book when you get home. Nehemiah. So here we go. Let me open my Bible there. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to be reading from the New King James. You might have something a little bit different. It's all right. So here's the people. Here are the people. He says, they just finished the wall. Verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. So after the, the work was completed, they all gathered together and they were as of one man. Can you imagine this huge crowd of people, but they were so united 
it was as if they were one person. We sometimes take for granted coming to church. Maybe you don't. I think we probably all do to a certain extent. You know, hey, do we go to church today? Mm, uh, yeah. All right, all right, we'll go to church. And we take for granted the gathering together. You know, Hebrews 10, verse 25, it talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some, as is the matter of some. Like, go to church, he's saying. Go to church. Don't stop going to church. Don't, don't flake out. Don't, don't, don't make things, other things a priority over gathering as a group. It's a good thing to be here. I congratulate you for being here this morning. Now, not everybody's able to be here. Different reasons. I don't know. We're not going to judge too much. But you're here. So were they. They gathered together as one, one man in front of the water gate. It says, and they told Ezra, the scribe, Ezra the scribe, they told Ezra, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So they get together and think, okay, what do we do now? I don't know. Maybe somebody could tap dance. They say, they get Ezra and they say, hey, bring the book of the law that the Lord gave us. That's a good thing. You know what I'm doing here? I'm reading to you from the book of the law. We open and check out what happens. He brings it. Verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding. I like that. There's men here. There's women. And then we have youth. We have some children. While the people that got together there were all the men, all the women, and anybody who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Say, whoa, let's not get any ideas there, Mike. You know, from morning till midday, basically from 6 a.m. to 12 noon. They were attentive. They were gathered together. Some things that I want to highlight. And they were there. They, and I'm pretty sure there weren't people complaining. Maybe they were. I don't know. But it doesn't say that there were people complaining. Like, goodness, when's he going to stop reading? It's been two hours already. Three hours. He's not going to go for six hours, is he? You know, it's lunchtime. Doesn't he know we need? Yeah, it's just awesome to see their, their dedication. From morning to midday, he read. Before the men and women and those who could understand. And listen to this. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Everybody that was there was attentive to the book of the law. We need to learn that. You know? Don't be attentive to me. Let me tell you something. Some people, you know the biggest compliment that I sometimes get after I speak? I like your jokes. I'm not trying to be funny. They're like right now, I wasn't trying to be funny. But I don't want you to be attentive to me. I want you to be attentive to God's word. What is he saying to you? And I hope that everybody here has experience sitting there, listening to a speaker or a song or a preacher, the radio, wherever, and you know that God is speaking to you. And it doesn't matter who's speaking. God is speaking to you. We need to be attentive. They were gathered together, and they were attentive. And we're going to learn a lot of that from this. And I look at you, and I, by the way, if you've ever stood up, you know you could see everybody. Like in one glance, you see everybody. See the person that's falling asleep. See the person that's on the phone. If their face is glowing, it's not the Lord's 
countenance reflecting upon them as a screen from their phone. You could see all that from here. All right? Well, the author here lets us know that they were gathered and they were all attentive. Beloved, be attentive. Attentive to what? Attentive to what God has for you, regardless of who the speaker is. Be attentive. It says, And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for that purpose, just like this. And beside him, at his right hand, stood... Now pay attention to the pronunciation of these names because this is the right pronunciation. You got it? All right. I'm going to test you on this. Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Hilkah, and Messiah. And at his left hand, some more people with strange names. Padiah, Mishaiah, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashabadana, Shakariah, and Meshulam. In case you were looking for baby names in the future. All right? There they are. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. I love it. He was like, look, here it is. They put him on a platform. He took the book. He opened it. Or where there was a scroll, he opened it. Everybody saw what he was reading. And it was the law of the Lord. Oh, and it says that Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, check this out. When he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. So he opened the book. Everybody's watching him. He opens the book. Boom. And everybody stands up. Why? Reverence. Reverence. They understood that God's law equivalent to now the Bible, was worthy of their reverence. They, knew, they understood that they were about to hear not Ezra's words, but God's very own words. And beloved, we have to understand that when we read the Bible or we hear somebody speak and expand on God's word, we are literally listening to God's words. Sometimes we think, wow, you know, if, if Jesus would appear, he would start talking to me. Man, I would totally pay attention. Well, what about when you open the word? Is he not speaking to you? Or when you come to church? I already heard that. That better not be our attitude. God's word is being read and explained. We need to be attentive and reverent. Feel free to stand up if you want. You don't have to. <laughs> all right. But they did. They all stood up. As soon as he opened the book, showed a lot of reverence. Not just attentiveness, but reverence, respect. You know, Really quick, I put a little note here. My pastor Sal, he was a World War II vet, and he used to tell us, uh, in talking about loving the Word, uh, he used to tell us about this uh, other soldier that uh, perhaps was in the same uh, quarters. And he said that, you know, he either had a girlfriend, a fiance, or a wife, but this young man, anytime he got a letter from his significant other, he would get the letter, he would be so proud, he would show it to everybody, but he wouldn't open it. He would wait till the evening. He said he would go take a shower. He would get ready. He would just get all dressed up and ready to go. And then he would open the letter and just read it. He didn't just grab it and read it and start opening it. It's like, okay, good, boom. It was so special to him because he knew that his girlfriend or his wife had just written that. And it was a love letter. 
And he used to tell us that story lots of times to illustrate the or to, to point to the fact that when we open God's Word and we're exposed to God's Word, it's literally God's love letter to us. Now, how do you take that? If it would be like the soldier who would take a shower first and just get ready and relax and, and then get a special spot and then open that letter and read it. We need to seek that type of relationship with God through His Word. Verse, where were we? Oh, okay. Verse 8, all the people stood in their place. Verse 8, so, he read, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So it wasn't just, hey, let's go listen to the word of God, and, and uh, hey, that sounded really good. But they took the time to explain what it meant. They took the time to explain what it meant. So imagine this, this big gathering of people. He begins to read, but he doesn't just read it. He explains it. And, and, you know, the Word of God, Paul tells us that through the Holy Spirit, he has gifted different people, and some of them with the ability to teach God's Word, that he has raised up teachers in the church. For what? So that we could learn from them. You know, Bruce, myself, the elders, Sunday school teachers, we're nothing special other than the fact that we believe God has raised us with the very specific purpose to teach God's Word. Because it's not enough to just hear it. You have to understand it if you're going to apply it. And thank God, I mean, I, I could spend a lot, lot, long time talking about the people that influenced me and helped me since I was a child growing up in the church who taught God's Word to me. And, and it's been a blessing for me to, to have had those people in, in my life. And I continue to have people that teach me and I'm learning from. So, he, um, verse 8 well, to understand the reading, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Strange stuff was going on. But the word of God had been neglected. So when they're hearing God's word and they're having somebody explain to them God's word, they begin to get convicted. And they start crying. Everybody starts crying when they're hearing God's word being explained and taught to them. And Nehemiah has to go to them and say, hey, today, no weeping. Verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You've heard that song before, right, in that phrase? Well, it's right there, underline it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, some of you guys read this. i got to say something about this. Verse 10, he says, he tells them, don't mourn today. Don't weep today. I get it. You're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. You understand your sin and, and need of repentance, and you're crying over that. That's a very good thing. You know, when you come to church, if you're like, man, I feel like I got beat up at church today. That message. That's a good thing, beloved. That's a good thing. Look at their reaction. They read the word, they read the law, and they started crying. When's the last time you started crying at church? 
because you read something and the Holy Spirit just convicted you and brought something to your mind and, and you knew you were wrong about that and, and you sorrowed after knowing that you have offended God. That's what was happening there. But he tells them, hey, not today. Not today. Today, he tells them, go your way. All right, write this down, men, or anybody that likes. He says, go your way and eat the fat. What? It's so anti-nutritional, all right? Eat the fat. Go ahead and eat the steak with the fat in there. He says, eat the fat and drink some soda. Did you see that? It was right there. It says, eat the fat and drink the sweet. I don't know. That's my interpretation of that. I don't know. If you have a different, we'll talk later. And then he says, and, and provide for the people that may not have any food. This day rejoice. This day is a great day. It's a great day because you came here, you gathered together, you were attentive, you were respectful. God spoke to you. You were convicted. You sorrowed over your sin. And God's going to do some amazing things. It talks about they lifted up their hands. They were participating. They, they answered amen. They were engaged. Um, they had their faces to the ground. Shows humility. Uh, they were learning. They were receptive. You know, hopefully nobody ever has the attitude like, I've been in the church for 20 years. What are you going to teach me? None of that. You should always be receptive to God's word. He's always ready to teach you. Um, so you see all these things here in this portion. They grieved over, they were convicted, and then they rejoiced, and they were blessed by it. Let me finish reading. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still for today, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. I don't know if you can remember the time when the Bible made sense to you. Look, I grew up in the church, and I don't remember when I started learning that Jesus had died for my sins. That was something that I grew up with. I don't remember a time not knowing that, right? Ever since I was in Sunday school, three, four years old, uh, those things were being taught through songs, through verses, and I understood that. I understood a lot of things that I heard. But I remember being 13 years old, eighth grade, 13 years old, and having all this information and having this conflicting attitude and behavior in my life. I was one person at church, and I was somebody different at school and at home. And I wasn't a horrible individual, but I was bad enough, certainly. But I remember being around 13 years old. When I believe what happened was that information went from being in my head to being in my heart. It went from understanding that Jesus had died for the sins of the world to Jesus, the Son of God, died in that cross for me, for my sin. And I was in desperate need of that grace. And I was spiritually bankrupt. And I couldn't, articul uh, couldn't have articulated it that way at 13, but that's what I understood that there needed to be a change in my life. That being at church wasn't good enough. Having grown up at church wasn't good enough. Having my parents be Christians and my siblings wasn't good enough. And God did the work in my life. By His grace. It's not enough to just come. It's not just enough to show up. They showed up. 
they were attentive. They were willing to hear the word being read for six hours at least. They saw the word open. They stood up. They showed reverence. They participated by saying amen. They lifted up their hands. They, they, they were facing down the ground, showing humility. They were learning. They were receptive. They started teaching them. Nobody said like, oh, I read that already. Don't worry. I got, teach the next person. I already know that. I don't think anybody said that. They were grieved by what was said in the law. And they were blessed. You keep reading. God did some amazing things. Now, that was kind of like the introduction. Let me get my message out here now. Why is, why is, why is the uh, sermon entitled, A Heart After God's Word? If you turn back to Ezra chapter 7, and this is what we want for everybody. We want this as a congregation for us to, to be like these people, these Israelites during that time. But let's look at a very special individual. And in Nehemiah, it says that they told Ezra, the scribe, to go get the book of the law, and he opened and he read it. But Ezra is a very special individual. Ezra chapter 7, and here's where we want to spend some, some time. Don't have a whole lot of, but check this out. Beautiful verse. Chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra, by the way, was also a very special individual who God used to bring the second group back to Jerusalem out of Babylon. But verse 10, and we're going to look at, we're going to highlight four things out of Ezra that we want from, for everybody here. Look at Ezra. He says in verse 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach the statutes and ordinance in Israel. It's a very special verse, and I don't want to read a lot more than that here now. I just want to highlight some of these things and try to apply them to our lives. When we talk about what does it mean to have a heart after God's word, when I'm talking about what does it mean to, to make God's word a priority in my life, look at Ezra. It says that for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law. He prepared his heart. By the way, the four things I want to highlight from here, so I'll start with P. And the first one is prepared. Prepare. He prepared his heart. Things didn't just happen. He didn't just happen to be. He's described as an expert in the law. But that didn't just happen. It was very purposeful. And it says the first thing he did is he prepared his heart. Now the Bible has a lot to say about the heart, beloved. Lots to say about, about the heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is wicked and perverse. And all messed up. But then Ezekiel says, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not what it says there, but if you follow the Lord, He will give you a new heart. He'll take your heart of stone and He'll give you a heart of flesh. For some of us are thinking like, why am I not changing? Why, why can't I do this? Why? Oh, maybe we're still trying to do things with a heart of stone. We need to ask God to give us a heart of flesh. Let me tell you some other verses. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all things, guard your heart. You know why? Because out of it flow the issues of life. In Matthew 6.21, very interesting verse, Jesus says, 
Uh, he's talking about making treasures in heaven. Making treasures in heaven. But then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the biggest issues I find in my life, and I'm sure you do too, is that we kind of don't see God working in our lives as much as we would like to. And we may wonder, like, why isn't that happening? Our heart is in the wrong place, beloved. Our loyalties are divided. How did Ezra prepare his heart? He doesn't say it here. But in two portions, in James and in 1 Peter, he says, uh, the Bible says to clear it out, to cleanse your heart, to get rid of all the malice, the envy, the jealousy, everything that's bad about us. It says, get rid of all that stuff first, and then you'll be able to receive God's word. I don't know exactly what Ezra did to prepare his heart, but I can tell you what the word says for us to prepare our hearts. You want God's word to come into your heart and to bear fruit? The first thing you need to do is clear out the junk. If you don't clear out the junk in your heart, then when you receive God's word, it's just going to be one thing among many in your heart. And you're going to have this divided loyalty towards things and towards God. And yeah, I want to serve the Lord, but only up to this point because I got all these other things going on. And I'm sure that's something that most of us can identify with, including myself. So he prepared his heart. The Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as well as in Matthew, you shall love the Lord with what? With all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Ezra prepared his heart. Beloved, we need to prepare our hearts. Take an inventory of what's in there. And if you're not sure, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Ask your parents. Ask your siblings. What do you see in my heart? Oh, darkness, beloved, darkness. They'll gladly tell you. But take inventory of what's in your heart. And if you need some help, get some help. They'll help you. Uh, But clear it out. And this is so important, beloved, I'm telling you. I see it in my life. It's in the Word. If you want to be blessed by God, if you want to impact the people around you, it's going to be through the power of God's Word. And if you're going to get God's Word in your heart, you need to clear it out first. What else did he do? It says, For Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. He pursued. He sought the Lord. Matthew 6, 23, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Priority, beloved, making Christ first. That's what Ezra did. He prepared his heart, then he pursued God. It says, to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. James talks about that. So he prepared, he pursued, and he practiced the word of God. Don't try to teach other people if you're not doing it yourself. If you're going to teach the word as he did, you have to be a doer of the word. Perfectly, none of us ever will. But you have to be somebody that's committed to prepare your heart, to pursue the Lord, and to be a practicer, a practitioner, or a doer of God's word. James talks about that. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. If you're a hearer of the word, not a doer of the word, you're fooling yourself. You're kidding yourself. You're deceived. What else was he? What's the last thing? 
He prepared, he pursued, he practiced, and then he proclaimed it. Man, the answer is right here, beloved. What, is, what should our relationship be to God's word? We should prepare our hearts. We should pursue God's kingdom and his word. We should practice what he says, and then we should proclaim it to other people. That's the Christian life. That is the Christian life. And I would love for us to look at how are we preparing our hearts? How are we pursuing the Lord? How are we putting things into practice? And how am I proclaiming the word? You do those four things, beloved. Man, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. You're not going to be perfect, and things are not going to be perfect in your life, but you're going to be all right. Let me, let me wrap things up with this. I'm going to give you the key to success. The key to success in life. And it has to do with God's word. You see it in Joshua, but you also see it in the first psalm. In the first psalm. You want to be a successful student? You want to be a successful husband? You want to succeed in every area of your life? I'm about to give you the answer. You guys ready? Psalms 1. The first psalm. Just in case anybody's thinking like, ah, Mike, I don't know about God's word. I already know it. No, you don't. God's knowledge is more than we'll ever be able to comprehend. But look at Psalms 1. It said, blessed or happy. Blessed is the man or the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That could be you preparing your heart. But his delight, his pursuit, is the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He's a practitioner. He practices that. And then here it is, verse 3. But he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He says, Psalms 1 says the same thing. He says, prepare your heart. Don't be hanging around people that you know are no good for you. Don't be doing things that you know God disapproves of. Don't be listening. Be careful with where you're getting your counsel. Watch out what you're listening to, what you're watching, who you're hanging around with. Prepare your heart. And then he says, but his delight, what he pursues, what he enjoys, is in the law of the Lord. And in it, he meditates day and night, beloved. I'm sure I'm speaking to the choir here, preaching to the choir, but you know that coming to church is not enough. You know that carrying your Bible is not enough. You know that Belonging to a Christian family is not enough. Or going through the motions is not enough. All of that can possibly just make you a religious person. But that's not enough. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want you to be a religious individual. He desires a personal relationship with you. And that's going to be through His Word. Because in His Word you will find out about his son, Jesus Christ, God himself, who made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a man, 
being born of a virgin, being born in a stable, in a manger, living a perfect life for 33 years, giving of himself, and ultimately giving the ultimate sacrifice when he allowed himself to be crucified in the Mount of Calvary. And he did that for you. He did that for me. And he did that because he understood it. He knew that there's no other way to give you a new heart that could potentially be after God's word. There was no other way for you to have a relationship with him aside from sin. It was the only way. And where are you going to learn that? How is that going to become a reality in your life? How are you going to have the faith to believe in that if not through the power of His Word, beloved? And then once you understand that, you live it out. And everybody around you should know that you're this individual who is obsessed with God's Word. And you're not just this holier-than-thou person that knows everything about the Bible, but you live it out in humility and in love. You seek to glorify God by lovingly pointing people to the cross of Jesus for salvation and growth. And we could help you with that at CP because that's our mission statement. How are you going to point people to the cross? Hey, you should go to my church. Why you are the church. You know that the Bible, nowhere does it say to invite people to church? Don't quote me on that one. My point is, Jesus didn't say, get people to the church. You know what he told us? Take the church to the people. You are the church, beloved. And just like Ezra prepared his heart, and he pursued God, and he practiced what he read, then he proclaimed it. He shared it with people. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. And in doing so, Psalms 1, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also should not wither, and everything you do will prosper. Don't you want to be a prosperous person? Or you want to continue struggling with everything? I want to prosper, and I want people around me to benefit from that prosperity. And I'm not talking about prosperity gospel, and I'm not talking about money necessarily. He says everything you engage on, everything you decide to do, when you got things right in your heart, when you have a heart after God's word, those things will prosper. And I love that. Those are promises that God has given us. So, I see that you guys gathered here, as the people did, the Israelites. I see that uh, you were engaged, most of you, all of you. I don't know. I, I didn't catch you if you were sleeping. If you see somebody sleeping, give them a little, little, uh, little elbow there. But you gathered. I hope that we're people of the four Ps. I'm going to test you afterwards. If you come around and tell me, like, my house is a good sermon, I'm going to say, what were the four Ps? They were, Ezra prepared his heart. He pursued the Lord. He practiced what he learned, and he proclaimed it to other people. Beloved, let's be people that have a heart after God's word. If we do that, your life will be blessed, your church will be blessed, everybody around you will be blessed. If not, 
we're just going to be a mess. We're going to be a mess. We're going to be mediocre Christians. I want to get to heaven and have the Lord say, good job. Well done. Good and faithful servant. The only way we're going to do that is if we are people that have a heart after God's word. What does that look for you? How much time do you spend in the word? How valuable is it for you? What things are you putting in front of that? Are you like most of us? I don't know what happens with my time, Mike. It's just so busy. And, you know, something comes up. And, and Satan's happy that we don't have time for the word. But let's not be that. Trust the word when it says, become people with a, with a heart after God's own word and your life will be blessed in ways that you don't even imagine. You can't even imagine what God wants for you and what God can do for you if we submit to his word. I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope you, you take some time to reflect on that, to meditate on that, to take inventory of your life as, as it relates to God's word, to believe that God's word is the key to a successful, meaningful, purposeful life as long as Lord, the Lord has us here. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so grateful to you for allowing us the opportunity to spend this time in your word. Father, we pray that you would help us not to be complacent. We pray for forgiveness for our sins and trespasses, and, and a big part of that is our neglect towards your word. And I say that for all of us here. Help us to be people that have a heart after your word. We want to please you. We want to know you. We want to share your love with other people. And we know that the key is through your word and the power thereof. I ask for your blessing on everybody who's here, who decided to, to gather together with the family, who are seeking to know you better, who are willing to be engaged listeners of your word. Use us in a way that will bring honor and glory to your holy name. We ask that we dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our loving Savior. Amen.